We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. And um, we have, uh, when you came in, we had Bibles if you need one, and our ushers can hand out one. But we are going to be in the text, and we really want you to follow along. If you'd like to grab a Bible, just slip up your hand. We'll be glad to pass one out to you. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Before we begin, I just want to remind people that we're going to be next week at Memorial High School. Um, We are going to be at Memorial High School all through September. We're going to start next week, and then all through September, we know for sure we are at Memorial High School. Um, We are planning to book almost every Sunday at Memorial High School during the school year. The reason is uh, we are not invited to come back to CVTC for the school year. Uh, We just found that out this week uh, because of some of the changes they've made. Um, so we're going to be at Memorial High School. That'll be a change for us. We know it's going to be a little farther for students. We hope you'll uh, let your friends know uh, where we're going to be. Little Theater, Memorial High School, and under the Eagle. It's right on Claremont. Uh, so next week. I just learned a new thing that's very exciting for me to share with you this morning. For some of you, it's not going to be new. I found out at least one other person knows this. There's probably a lot of you. Um, but it's new for me, and I've tried to be a lifetime learner, so I just continue to try to learn things because I forget things faster than I learn. Um, this is ob- about the mosquito ringtone. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The mosquito. Here you go. We've got a few people. The mosquito ringtone. Um, the concept of the mosquito tone was first developed in Great Britain, and it was developed to irritate teenagers because teenagers would hang outside of convenience stores kind of with too much time on their hand and it sort of kept people away from the convenience stores so somebody came up with this mosquito tone that's right outside the convenience stores that made this weird sound that only teenagers could hear because older people can't hear it it was on a, a frequency that People older than teenagers couldn't hear, but it was supposed to bug teenagers and therefore, you know, sort of keep them away from the convenience store. However, one of the teenagers got a great idea, decided to download the ringtone onto his cell phone. Now, why did he want to do that? Well, the way it worked out is so that teenagers can use their cell phones at school and they can get phone calls and text messages with nobody hearing except other teenagers. It's true. Um, You can now download your own free mosquito ringtone at freemosquitoringtone.org. Because apparently at 8 kilohertz, everybody can hear that. Um, At 10 kilohertz, it's 60 and under. I may not be able to hear that one. And at 12 kilohertz, it's 50 and under. And even it begins to get incremental. They say at 14 kilohertz, 49 and younger can hear it. So you can see how. And then it just goes incrementally down to the teenagers up through 20 and 22 kilohertz. Only younger people hear. And so what they what they know is it's all about the hair in your ears. And uh, everybody has microscopic hairs in their ears it enables them to pick up frequencies and sound impulses that go to the brain and uh, so as we get older 
We must lose some hair or we get damaged hair in our ears. The other thing about when you get older, you get more hair on the outside of your ears than on, than on the inside of your ears. Um, but there's a spiritual analogy uh, for us. You know what? God speaks to us today and we don't always hear. God's spoken to us in creation, something about himself. God has spoken to us in his son and in the word and we don't always hear. It's really about spiritual ear hair. Okay? Jesus told a parable about spiritual ear hair in Luke chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. So that's the passage we're going to look at and invite you to turn there. Uh, first, the story in verses 4 through 8, and uh, follow along with me, verse 4, the context. While a large crowd was gathering and people Uh, We're coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. Remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So an everyday experience, something that people knew about, understood. And he has uh, a spiritual concept he wants to convey to them. Uh, We know from Matthew and Mark, this takes place up in Galilee, northern part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee. And people were coming to him. Jesus was very popular. People wanted to see him and hear him and touch him. They wanted to understand what he had to say. And, um, and so Jesus, is, as this is happening, he's going to respond to the different kinds of people that are coming uh, to be around him. The setting, verse 5, um, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Pretty common experience in the first century. Israel was an agrarian economy. It's all about farming and raising animals. Uh, that's just how they uh, survived. Uh, sheep and uh, shepherds and goats and oxen and planting and uh, cultivating and harvesting. In verses uh, 5 through 8, Jesus introduces the environments of uh, a farmer who went out to sow a seed. In verse 5, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Now, before the fields were seeded, uh, you know, they didn't have all the agricultural knowledge and the agricultural equipment that we have. Before the fields were seeded, they tried to remove uh, all of the uh, debris on the ground. And they might burn it, uh, they would rake it, they would cut it down, and so it just all looked black or like dark soil. And, you know, we plow the soil ahead of time. They didn't do it uh, back then. They didn't have all the implements. And when uh, seed was uh, scattered, um, some, let me read uh, verse, eight, verse 5 again. And he was scattering a seed, and some fell on the, along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. And this is going to be the hard-packed uh, soil. As uh, seed was scattered indiscriminately uh, in the field, everywhere in the field. Some of it would fall on the hard path where people walked or even a little kind of road right through the field where people traveled. You know, it just got trampled down. It was kind of like concrete, and they went long periods of time without rain. Now, they would plant in October through December, early December, because the rains would come in December. So they wanted to get everything done before uh, December. Um, 
Seed like this, uh, as you can imagine, just sitting there on the top of the soil, was easy for uh, birds to come and just snatch it up. You know, there it is, just take it. Because the way that they uh, embedded the seed was they had kind of a crude uh, wooden utensil, kind of a rake to scratch the surface of this soil so that they could cover up the seed that was already spread. Now, that was easy to do in kind of like the regular field, but it wasn't easy to do where the, the path was uh, through. And so it just kind of stayed on top, and the birds came and took it away. In verse 6, we have the rocky soil. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Some of the soil had chunks of limestone below the surface, just very shallow. Um, so these weren't rocks that were sticking up where, you know, like the source says, well, gee, I, I'm not going to plant on the top of that rock. Uh, but this was underneath the soil. And uh, so it says they would, uh, some of the seed fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. The seed could germinate, but it didn't last long because it didn't have moisture. Limestone would soak up the moisture. Now, I learned about this phenomenon the hard way when um, we lived in Dallas, Texas, actually Garland, Texas, during our seminary days. And uh, we had a home and I was trying to learn to take care of my yard. It's very hard to grow grass in Texas. And um, you have to... You have to have good soil. You have to add all kinds of things to it. And uh, you have to water it. And you have to do everything to keep the weeds from growing. So I wanted to have a nice yard. I, went, I was willing to work. And so I had this place right outside my study window that always seemed to be bare. And so, you know, I just went and bought, you had to buy Bermuda grass seed. We don't grow that here. And uh, you, you planted it, and it has runners, and it just spreads. And I thought, this will do great, um, and that's going to look good. And so I, I did that, and sure enough, the Bermuda grass came up, looked really good for about a week, and then it disappeared. And so I tried it again, the same thing happened. And then I got real, I'm, I'm going to do my whole yard. And so uh, I got a rototiller, and I tilled up everything. And I'm going to do it right. You know, I got a lot of rocks out of there. And I planted again. And uh, guess what? Right there outside of my study window, this little area, grass came up and it died. And that, boy, that had my attention. And I decided to go out and dig down into the soil. I'm not sure why I tried that. But sure enough, I found a piece of limestone about this big uh, right down below the surface. But it, rototiller didn't touch it. And it wouldn't grow grass. And this is the kind of soil they have in Israel where there can be a large piece of limestone and it won't grow up. Something will come up for a while and then it will just die and wither. That's the rocky soil. In verse 7, the thorny soil, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and grew up with it and choked the plants. So we have hard-packed soil, rocky soil, and now the thorny soil. Um, and this, uh, in places where there, were, there was soil with other seeds, not just the seed that the sower was trying to grow, like wheat. You know, he's planting wheat, he's some kind of crop, some kind of grain, I suppose even corn. But that's what the goal is, is to plant the seed. But there's other things in the soil, and they're going to come up too. In fact, some of those come up faster than what the sower is planting. Uh, 
And it can be thistles, it can be just weeds that grow really fast and high, take over the sunshine and suck up the moisture. could even be actual thorns, actual, uh, I don't know if you ever have little trees grow in your yard, where it's not just uh, something like a weed, but it's a little tree and it gets roots and you can pull on it and pull off the top and it'll come right back up again. Those kinds of things uh, Jesus is telling the story about sometimes chokes out, takes up the moisture, takes the sunshine, sunshine, and the seed that was sown gets choked out. And then he comes to the good soil, and you all knew we were getting there, verse 8. Still, the other seed fell on good soil, came up, yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So this is the fourth environment. It's good soil. It was fruitful. It was profitable. It brought success. It fulfilled the purpose that the farmer had when he was planting his seed. One writer said that in Bible times, if land would yield uh, seven to ten times of the seed that was sown, that's not very good, by the way, seven to ten times, that was considered a success. Now, you can see that Jesus uh, is saying a hundredfold. He's getting the attention of his audience to listen. Well, that's good. They get that hundredfold. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. I'd like to do that. Now in verse eight, Jesus gives a challenge. He says, when he said this, he called out and said, he who has more spiritual hair in their ears, let them hear. Jesus is arousing their curiosity. Uh, what does this mean? What is he talking about? Yeah, I heard the story. What, so what? What's this about? Tell me. Um, and he's talking about more than farming. He's talking about um, spiritual understanding. And, you know, the disciples are pretty smart. And uh, they, they get the question. And they want to know in verses 9 and 10. The question, what does this mean? And verse 8, um, his disciples ask him what this parable meant. And Here's what I want to say, too, here. Um, It's good to ask questions. It's good to be curious. You know, we can look at the disciples sometimes at the questions they ask, and sometimes they were kind of silly, but we ask silly questions, too. But you know what? Jesus is okay with silly questions. Jesus is okay with your curiosity. In fact, you have curiosity because you are created in the image of God, and you're a curious person. And you ought to ask questions, and don't be embarrassed about the questions you have. Okay? We all have this. And uh, Jesus wanted his disciples to be curious. That's why he told this story, because tell us more. This is not enough. And uh, then he gives them in verse 10 insider information. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God, verse 10, has been given to you, but to others. I speak in parables so that. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. He's saying, some people are going to get it easier. Some people are not going to get it necessarily easy. First, uh, what does he mean by the secrets? The secrets of the kingdom. The concept of secrets here are mysteries of the kingdom of God. It's, it's uh, not rocket science here. Um, things not yet revealed. And part of that is, okay, Jesus just told the story about the sower and the soils. 
And what, is, what does that mean? Well, he hasn't told the answer yet. So now comes the answer. Not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to listen. In fact, Jesus doesn't tell the whole crowd. Jesus is going to tell this just to his disciples, those who are following him, those who want to know the answers. And I personally believe Jesus would answer anybody that come up to him with a question. You want to know more? Okay, here it is. Um, so that's what the secrets refer to. And the kingdom of God, uh, I sometimes, uh, my, my wife sometimes reminds me that I throw this term around. And it's one of those, it's a Bible term. It's one that we insiders use sometimes. So I'm going to try to tell you what I mean when I say the kingdom of God and what I understand Jesus is talking about here. And it's a concept that goes throughout the New Testament. It's the kingdom of God is a broad term. And I want you to think about it. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus, because that was his role, John said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why did he say that? Because the king was just about to be public, Jesus. And he was introducing the king. Not everybody knew that. Fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7, David would have a king that would reign on David's throne forever, a descendant. David would have a descendant. Well, Jesus is going to be the fulfillment, and he's going to be the king. Revelation tells us he's going to be the king of kings. So it's about the king being present. When Jesus uh, entered public ministry, he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. And it's all about the presence of the king and this... uh, how the kingdom will unfold. It wasn't unfolded all at once. And so it's really a big picture. It really is all of the New Testament on how the kingdom of God unfolds. It's about the king, Jesus, and his influence. The influence he had in the first century. The influence he's had the last 2,000 years. The influence he's having in our lives today. And the influence that he will have in in the world to come. Okay? Okay. It's about his influence in the earthly kingdom. We are in the earthly kingdom, and there, there is going to be, I think, in the future, a thousand-year reign, a millennial reign of Christ uh, that's going to be an earthly kingdom. And there's going to be a future kingdom and a, an eternal kingdom, Revelation 21 and 22. Now, that's a lot of information. Just think about it. it's the king and his influence, all right? Um, you've probably prayed about this, right? When is the last time you prayed about the kingdom of God? Matthew 6, I think we have this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Jesus modeled for his disciples to pray about the kingdom of God to come. About the, the influence of the king in the lives of people. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's it like in heaven? I don't know. But what I understand about heaven is, is when God wants something done, it gets done immediately. He has angels and they obey. And there's no like 10 years to think it through. It's obedience. That's kind of what God's goal is here on earth, is that we learn to obey. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you so that... This on earth becomes like it in heaven. And Jesus asked us to pray 
about full obedience here and now. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's for us. That's for today. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, That's about the king and his priorities, putting his priorities first in my life. Kingdom of God advances. And one of the ways that I think about the kingdom of God advancing is every time one person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and we looked at this the last couple of weeks, there's a party in heaven, right? The angels rejoice in heaven. Every time one person comes to faith, the kingdom of God advances in their life. Now think about when one family has two people come to faith. The kingdom of God is influencing that family. What if the whole family starts to follow Christ? The kingdom is advancing and reaching through to a community. The kingdom of God advances one life at a time. Now, the purpose of the parables, uh, Jesus alludes here, it's about giving information about God's work on earth to teach people. He gives parables to teach people, to instruct people, to challenge people, to motivate people, to inspire people, and to create curiosity for them to want to learn more. He also speaks in parables to veil information. If people aren't interested, he's not going to bother him. You're not interested? Leave it. People who are interested, he gives more information. Um, some of if some of the hardest uh, truth in in the uh, in the Bible is called apocalyptic literature, and. Um, the book of Revelation has many passages that are what we call symbolic apocalyptic literature. The book of Daniel has passages like that. It was purposely written to veil the truth. Oftentimes during times of great persecution, it almost protected the saints if, if, if um, it wasn't told publicly what was going to happen and who the people were. So there's a twofold purpose, to give information and to veil information. That wouldn't be hard for you to understand. Jesus said it. He quotes Isaiah 6 in in doing this. Okay, the interpretation. Luke 8, verses 11 through 15. First, the seed. uh, Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Let me just say a couple things about Bible study. When we study the Bible, we're looking for information. We're looking for facts. We're looking, we, we make observations, just like in science. You do an experiment and you make observations. You try to be objective. Same thing you do in Bible study. You, you make observations about the text and you try to be objective as possible. You could literally make hundreds of observations about a text if you really want to write things down. You can, okay? The goal, then, is interpretation. There is only one meaning to a text. Let that sink in. Jesus is giving the meaning here. There is only one meaning, and it is the meaning that God intended. Now, we get different interpretations because we humans get different human perspectives. But that doesn't mean God has different interpretations. He has one that he intends for us, and he would like us to discover it. Okay? I'm not saying they're all easy. And I'm certainly not saying I'm always right. I try to say when I'm giving an interpretation that's controversial that 
It's my best judgment. It's my perspective. Okay. Lots of observations. One interpretation, but many applications. Sometimes people get confused and they jump from this is what the text says and this is what it means. And what they do is they get 25 applications and they're saying that's an interpretation, which is not accurate. So I want you to just one interpretation of this. And it's our it's our best duty to to discover what we can. So the meaning of the, the parable and the great thing about this interpretation here, we have the divine interpreter giving it to us. Jesus himself is giving the interpretation. No guessing. He says the seed is the word of God. Guess who has been sowing the seed in his public ministry and multitudes are coming to hear. And he's saying, guess what? There are all kinds of people here listening. And he's going to identify four kinds. He could probably identify more. But in this story, he just gave us four kinds of people. Um, And we can expect. And for us, here's what we learn. Uh, as followers of Christ, expect various responses to God's word. It's not because people aren't intelligent. It's more about where they are in their uh, spiritual lives. So verses uh, 12 through 15, we have the soils. And the first uh, soil uh, is the, what I've described as the spiritually callous heart. Verse 12. This is the hard soil, the roadside soil. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So, you know, the ground was hard. It was just easy for the birds to come and take the the seed right off the top. And there is a spiritual analogy in the human realm, um, in the spiritual realm. There are people with hard hearts, spiritually calloused hearts, people who've been given information about God and they're not interested. And the more you are not interested in God and what he wants to say, God just lets you develop sort of spiritual calluses. And and then not only that, um, there's this spiritual element we described when we went through First Peter, uh, we described about spiritual warfare and uh, the role of Satan and, and the role of uh, uh, the devil. There are several terms that describe who he is. And that's what Jesus says here. And the devil comes and takes away the word of God from their hearts. When you think of the way the enemy works, he primarily distorts truth. He works in the area of ideas. He doesn't have to come out and appear to you in a scary dream at night like a big, ugly monster, because that would scare you to death. He just works in distorting ideas. A little deception here, a little deception there. If you already are not interested in the word of God, all he has to do is distract you. You heard a message. Is it true or not? Oh, that's that was interesting. And I'm over here on something new, you know, just not just bounces off. Not important. Not going to think about it again. The enemy, not only can I do it humanly, just choose what I'll think about, but the enemy is working as well to distract us or distract people from the word of God. And all I'm saying is Jesus said it, okay? You know it's going to be true and it's going to work out in the real world. I I don't know exactly what it looks like, but it happens, okay? 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We just need to be reminded about that. We have a mission. Our mission is to help people connect with God. As we do that, guess what? We have an enemy that's working against us. He always has and he always will be. And he makes it hard for people to come to faith in Christ. So there is a spiritual blindness. The God of this age. By the way, that's one of the terms used for Satan or the devil. Okay? Now, I just want us to understand the nature of evangelism as Jesus refers to it. um, How the devil can affect a person's mindset. It's uh, harder for an unbeliever to see, appreciate, and understand the gospel. It's more than just intellectual gymnastics. There is a spiritual element that can only be dealt with on the, in the spiritual realm with spiritual weapons. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse, verse 2, the Apostle Paul um, understands this, and he, says, he tells the church at Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul understood the warfare happening when he proclaimed the gospel of Christ, and he asked the church to pray. And here's one thing you can count on. Our success in evangelism as individuals and as a church is going to be uh, basically corollary to our prayer for the message and the people. We hope we'll find faith in Christ, okay? Because it's a weapon of warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Just think in terms of a stronghold is sort of like a little obstacle or mindset or brain freeze just in one little area that keeps people from understanding the gospel or making advances in their spiritual life. A stronghold. The enemy has influence in that area. It would be not just, I'm not talking about just Satan here. It could be demonic. So fallen angel having influence in the life of a person, non-Christian or Christian, a stronghold. Okay. Our weapons are not of the world. They, are, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Because that's what the enemy wants to do, is, is uh, be an obstacle for people having the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. A uh, couple things quickly. What are spiritual weapons? Well, one weapon would be the Word of God, the truth. Okay, that's a weapon. Prayer is a weapon, a spiritual weapon that can tear down the strongholds of darkness just by praying. Prayer is like a battering battering ram in the spiritual realm. And also, uh, one of the obvious things here, as we take every thought captive to make obedient to Christ, it's the spirit-filled obedient life is going to be a weapon against the forces of darkness. Now, I'm not going to uh, go into this much further in that we have just talked about this about a month ago, 
about spiritual warfare. So um, Ephesians 6, 8, and 19, 18 and 19, Ephesians 6. Do we have that? I know why we don't have that. Let me just read this to you. And, and pray in the Spirit. Verse Chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 18 and 19, come after what? The passage about the armor of God, about spiritual warfare. And this is how he concludes. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with, every kind of, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me whenever I open my mouth. Words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what Paul is asking for. He's asking to pray and to pray uh, for the communication of the gospel so that people can understand because they understand it's a spiritual transaction. And it's so easy for the enemy to distract somebody uh, who hasn't come to faith yet. Verse 13. Uh, this, the second one group is a spiritually shallow, unstable heart. The spiritually shallow, unstable heart. Those uh, on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. Then they hear it and they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So they, this, this can be a person who gives an emotional response. You know, this is exciting. I'm, I'm glad to know this. And yay, and, and uh, let's join the team. And then, oh, a week later, they feel bad and they're discouraged and they drop out. Um, they believe for a while and they fall away when life gets hard. Now, one of the questions that some of you are trying to want to ask, some of you are curious, is this a believer or not a believer? Is this somebody who loses their salvation? Is this somebody who's a believer and keeps their salvation, but they fall away? And guess what? parable doesn't teach that that's not the purpose of this parable to teach that it's not the purpose of this parable to answer that question you know what i think both could be true i think you could find a believer who falls away that's still a believer still has eternal security and i think you could find somebody who never gets it and they do get excited and and they make an emotional decision and then they just lose interest when life gets hard just remember, it's not the purpose of the parable to teach you everything you wanted to know. It's not the purpose of the parable to teach you all there was to know about church doctrine. Jesus is telling this story because there are different kinds of people who hear. Um, and it's good that you're curious, so keep up the questions. Number three, the spiritually divided heart, verse 14. The spiritually divided heart. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. Believer or not a believer? Could be. The idea they don't mature, the idea is these are baby Christians. But Jesus isn't really trying to teach that. He's just trying to tell there's some people who have divided hearts. Some people, and may well be a Christian, Yes, they stand for God. They like the values. They think they're important. They go to church, put some money in the offering. But boy, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of other things that are really important too. And don't ask them to put those other things aside for the sake of Jesus because they, they want to do both. And uh, Jesus said you can't serve, for example, God and money. You can't have two masters. You can only have one master and he wants to be it. And uh, there are some people, Jesus said, that just don't believe that. There are some people who just, I want to do it my way. 
I'll sit on the fence. I'll do it my way. And Jesus is saying, those are people you can expect in your audience. Um, you know, when you think about... Okay, let's jump to uh, verse 15. The spiritual ready heart. It's the spiritual ready heart. Last verse. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word and retain it and by persevering produce a crop. This is the optimum environment. By the way, this is the only one that Jesus commends. This is what his story is about. This is what he wants everybody to hear. These people want to know what God wants. Uh, they want to hear. They want to be led by God day by day. They want to do what God wants, and even when it's hard. There's an Old Testament story I'd like to bring in. Uh, that's it's it's a kid's story, so it, it's uh, it's cool. First uh, Samuel chapter three. It's a story of Samuel, the child. His mom um, brought him to the temple. And wanted him raised in the temple. You know, it, one, it was a gift. She dedicated her child to God. And she wanted her child to be raised up in this environment where God would be honored. And this, sadly, Eli was the high priest. And he didn't necessarily honor God. And he raised a batch of sons that were far from God. Yet they were priests. They were the religious clergy. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 10 God is going to speak. The Lord came and stood there calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Here is a kid who has a tender heart toward God. God chooses to circumvent the priesthood of Samuel's day. God wouldn't speak to the high priest. God chose to speak to a child who had a tender heart. That's good soil. And God wants us to be people who want to listen, who are willing to hear. It's not that Samuel understood everything. God had a message for Israel. And he circumvented sort of like the normal way of doing it. Um, In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. A lot of times we talk about loving God. We, we talk about it in worship. We get excited in worship. And then it's, it's not just about how you feel on Sunday. It's, okay, what about Monday morning? Walk with Christ one day at a time. Tuesday, Wednesday. It's about following Christ step by step. Um, in your Bibles on John 15, 1 through 7, look at that real quick as we talk about the good soil. John 15, 1 through 7, it's on page 750. And um, Jesus is talking here. This is the night before he's crucified. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Okay, there's the agrarian economy, the agricultural uh, Metaphor here. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Um, While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So 
God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine and he's the one who is living and he's producing branches. And branches are those people who attach themselves to Jesus. And uh, the, the father, the vine dresser, is looking for fruit. And he's going to cut off everything that doesn't produce fruit. And by the way, he's going to throw it in the fire. And everything that does produce fruit, he's going to prune and so that there'll be more fruit. And his whole desire is there be much fruit. He's looking for the soil that is good. And that's a great, you know, by the way, a metaphor of, of soil, you know, the good soil. It's just dirt. We're just dirt. And God wants to do something good uh, in us. Uh, verse 3 uh, you were already clean. He's talking to his followers. And guess who's not there? One person is missing in John 15. His name is Judas. He's already been removed from the vine. He was attached for three years. No fruit. Verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's what Jesus is saying. You've got to stay connected to Jesus. got to stay connected to Jesus. got to stay connected to Jesus. If you don't, nothing. That's what verse 5 is. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, or if a woman remains in me, and I in him or her, he will bear or she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing, nothing. And so much is done in the name of Christianity that ends up being nothing. Because people do it without Jesus. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. That's what happened to Judas. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. That's quite a promise for prayer. It's about staying so connected with Jesus that your heart is beating with Jesus. And you have the same pulse. And he, and he even puts the ideas in your head what to ask for about what he wants to do. And, boy, how effective would that be in evangelism if you're asking God to open the eyes of people who don't know Jesus yet? Okay, question. What is fruitful living? Jesus talked about fruit, much fruit, more fruit. What is fruitful living? And I'm going to give you some quick uh, things from the New Testament. First, Galatians 5:22 and 23 uh, fruitful living is developing Christ-like character. That's a well-known passage. It's about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's fruit. If you're following Christ, this is going to grow in your life. Matthew 9, 37 and 38 is uh, one who, ha- who is fruitful, has success in evangelism. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Back to the agricultural metaphor. Pray for the Lord of harvest to send out. Workers, because he wants to achieve harvest. Hebrews twelve eleven, one who bears fruit grows in righteousness and peace. Just being trained by difficulty grows people in righteousness and peace. Hebrews five fourteen, able to discern good and evil. Sometimes life has a lot of gray areas, and you need a lot of wisdom and discernment comes. Um, through uh, growing in God's word and God's understanding of God's word. James 1, 1.25 says, 
that the person who hears and does the word of God will be blessed in what he or she does. I just like to be blessed. I don't know what it's going to mean, but if God's on my side, it's going to be good. And John eight thirty one and 32 is that you will be set free. That's what Jesus said. If you continue to my word and my word in you, um, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Uh, free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin and free from the bondage of sin. It's going to come from truth and applying it to your life. So which heart best describes you? Which heart best describes you? Uh, Would it be the spiritually calloused heart? You just don't care. You don't care. You aren't interested. How about the spiritually shallow, unstable heart? Driven by emotions. And by the way, being emotional is not bad at all. It's great. You want to be focused on truth. You want to live your life on truth, not on emotions. Let your, you can experience life with your emotions. Just don't let emotions rule your choices. Let truth rule your choices. Um, spiritually divided heart. Jesus said that no, no man or woman can serve two masters. And a spiritually divided heart is a person who's trying to have more than one master. Um, a spiritually ready heart is just, just want to follow um, whatever he wants. Um, so that Jesus' name would be praised, so that church, his church would grow, so his kingdom would advance. Um, and you're willing to be a dead to sin and alive to Christ. So a practical question, what obstacles do you face in bearing fruit? What obstacles do you face? Um, what keeps you from having a spiritually ready heart? Only you can know that. And if you're not sure, you can certainly ask God to show you what keeps you from having a spiritually ready heart. So here's what review. Luke chapter 8. Expect people to respond differently to the gospel and to God's word. Expect that. Understand that. We sometimes get discouraged that everybody's not interested. Well, Jesus said, just expect that. Uh, remember that prayer changes the way people respond to the gospel. God can grow spiritual hair in people's ears. And let God change your heart so you're willing to be whatever he wants. Okay? Let's stand and pray. Father, we uh, are mindful of the words of Jesus and just an an easy little story uh, that challenges us to think about who we are and where we are. And it's just a way to stop and think about how am I doing? How's my heart? Are there obstacles that keep me from being who you want me to be? And God, I want my heart to be good soil, to embrace what you want and embrace uh, the word of God and seek to put it in action. And I just confess that's not always easy. And Lord, would you work in our hearts and show us what steps do we need to do? What steps do we need to take? Is there something we need to confess? Is there something we need to do to walk with you? Because it's just one step at a time. 
It's not, uh, and the purpose of the parable wasn't just to show that people produce a hundredfold overnight. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of bearing fruit in a number of ways. And it's just one day at a time and one step at a time, even baby steps. Thank you for the privilege to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.